When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast. Wembley is blue, Manchester is blue. City win the derby, the FA Cup and the double. Gold from Gundogan under the arch and Guardiola is a game away from glory. United are still the only team to have done the treble, but for how much longer? This is Football Social Daily, an award-winning podcast. My name's Niall and with me today to discuss the FA Cup final, an FA Cup final for the history books at that, Marley Anderson and Joel Tudor. Good morning, boys. Morning. Good morning. One of you's Joel's distinctly still more his, uh, his, his glazer-funded bucket hat that he's bought off uh, <laughs> eBay for 120 quid. Should have come in today, honestly. I've just been getting so much abuse in the office <laughs> that I'm this close to contra- contacting HR because it's pathetic. You've been copping it from all angles. Seriously, today. I've been. Like, it's like um, if anyone's seen 300, no, the Gladiator, where he's just in the middle and everyone's just killing him at the end. I'm like, come on, is there any more? Not <laughs> <laughs> if that's 300 or Gladiator, but yeah, you get know, the, you get the meaning the of it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like uh, it's like being strapped to a torture device or something. It's <laughs> just getting peppered from all angles. Um, we will talk about the FA Cup final in a minute. But first, breaking news this morning. Zlatan Ibrahimovic has retired from professional football at the age of 41. 42. 42? Well, he's in his 40s anyway. He's in his 40s. What a contribution to the game he made. Some rather interesting quotes as well that have come out of his mouth over the years. And funnily enough, we had no idea that Zlatan was going to retire today, of course. How would we? But we spoke to Nadim Anua last week in part one of a two-part interview with the former Manchester City defender who actually played against Zlatan Ibrahimovic in the MLS in the later stages of his career. And he had a bit of an altercation with Zlatan. So take a listen to this. Ah, oh, man, he's so interesting because like his career in terms of success, yeah, I love it. Some of these sound bites hate him with a passion and then in the game we played it was my first time playing against him for 45 minutes he was sound no dramas and then he's just what he does if he's not playing well he likes to start fights with people so he chose me that day with the MLS most people when he starts fight he just they just back down but I was not backing down so yeah <laughs> I gave him some of that and then we fin- we played the second half where we were head to head and every time he did something bad I was laughing in his face 
But then every time I did, he was doing the same to me. Then after the game, he uh, came into our dressing room like two minutes after, and that's like a cardinal sin. You never do that. That's Nada Manua there, and you can hear that full interview, part two of which is out on Wednesday. If you want to hear part one, then just scroll back in the timeline and you can find it. But we had a nice sit-down chat with Nadam last week. And as a Manchester City man, I'm sure he is absolutely delighted at the fact that City beat United in the first ever Manchester Derby FA Cup final by a score of two goals to one. And it means they have done the double and they are now just one game away from matching their crosstown rivals, Manchester United, in doing a treble of Premier League, FA Cup and Champions League. Let's talk about the FA Cup final then at Wembley. Traditional Saturday, three o'clock kickoff. It's been a while since we've seen one of those. We said on Friday we wanted it to be dramatic. We wanted a bit of energy and excitement and it couldn't, Marley, have got off to a more dramatic start than after 14 seconds... Ilkay Gundogan lashes in a volley and sends the blue end of Wembley absolutely ballistic. Was it was it 14? I thought it was 12. Oh, it might even be less. Yeah. yeah. Uh, whatever anyways, way, it's the fastest matter. ever goal in an FA Cup final. I mean, yeah, the perfect start for City. Typical uh, sort of Man United are like, right, come on, keep it tight for the first 10. Don't do anything daft. Uh, and I think one player of theirs has a touch of the ball and it's the header, which clips off De Bruyne's head and lands perfectly for Gundogan. It's like, you know... You, it's one of those drop-in volleys you just cannot resist. Like no player can mm. can not hit that, and he hits it obviously perfectly and flies back to Hayer, who just has concrete in his boots um, and uh, and can't get anywhere near it. And yeah, flies in. Probably, I feel like it it slightly uh, affected the the game. It was almost came too early because I don't think the game was actually that good, um, but the goal was was worth remembering. I mean. It's a fantastic goal. Yeah, that will always be remembered as the Ilkay Gundogan final. You know, whatever happens in his career, and we'll talk about him later on. But as we said, fastest goal in FA Cup final history, beating Louis Saha's previous record of 25 seconds for Everton in 2009. That was against Chelsea. I was actually with Louis Saha on Saturday as a strange turn of events. FA Cup final day, 25 seconds, you hold the record, thinking that there's no way that that will ever be broken. And yet, as Marley says, 12, 13 seconds, whatever it is, Gundogan's smashing this volley into the back of the net. I kind of had half an eye on the screen because I was just settling down to watch the game at that point. I was absolutely stunned. I was gobsmacked. You were watching the game with a bunch of United fans, thousands of them. What was the venue like when that hit the back of the net from a Manchester United perspective? It was just disappointing because the atmosphere was really building and um, we were getting a bit more optimistic because every single City fan that I spoke to today have said how nervous they all were playing United, even more so nervous than the Champions League final this week, which kind of shows, I'm sure it reflected on the players because I didn't think City were incredible. I think it, it showed that they were a team who hadn't played for a good number of days now. And it just annoyed me so much that it completely changed the disruption of uh, the flow of the game because I'm sure Ten Hag had a strict game plan. I even said to a lot of people just before the game, I was scared of getting blown out of the game within the first 20 minutes because that's what City had been doing this season. <laughs> but not the first 20 not, seconds. Not the first 20. And yeah, I, I, I was a bit more generous with my time scale. And the fact that it was literally, the play, no one even broke a sweat by that point. And that's the most irritating part because then Ten Hag has to think, right, what are we doing for the next 90 yeah, minutes? Do we, are we sticking? Are we twisting? Well, it's Can like we what Marley said. I think one United player touched the ball. That might have been Lindelof, I think, with the head yeah, around. Really contended but for the head, I think, yeah. was it Lindelof and Varane both almost hesitated for not even half a second, a fraction of a second as to who was going to go and head the ball. 
And if Lindelof leaves like one tenth of a second earlier, the ball might not drop enough for Gund. I mean, these are the sort of margins we're talking about here. If someone just smashes into Haaland and fouls him, City win the free kick and, and the move doesn't materialise. It's just all of these small things that are working around the engine in your head and you're going, what on earth do you do next? I mean, has anyone ever seen City do a long goal kick in a long time? Because I haven't. I bet United players didn't even expect it to come because as soon as they did how the kick can off, you? How can you expect someone to volley one in from 25 no, no, I mean, yards? No, no, I mean, I mean the, goal, the goal kick. Even generally, how can you expect no, anyone to I mean. volley a goal in like that? Yeah, it's, 15 seconds, not even that, into an FA it Cup was, final. It was just, it's a moment of magic, isn't it? You can't really blame anyone for it or say, oh, Lindelof should have been winning the header or this or that. I mean, he won the header. And then he bounced off his job. Yeah, yeah, bounced off like Harland, I think. It's, yeah. It's moments in football which like this, you look back and I bet players think, God, if I would have got a little bit more of pace on mm. that header or a little bit yeah. more of a jump, but you can't change these things. It wasn't preventable, that goal. The second one absolutely was preventable. We'll come on to the second one shortly because first we need to touch upon Manchester United's equaliser. It came through Bruno Fernandes from 12 yards, a penalty given against Jack Grealish for handball. I thought at the time it was quite harsh to be honest with you. I thought Manchester United played okay up to the final third, but they were kept out relatively easily by City until that moment where Grealish is punished for handling the ball. What did you think, Marley? Because it just brushes his fingers, but his left arm is what you would consider now in an unnatural position. But is it just the referees following the letter of the law from the directive that they've been given when it comes to handball? Yeah, well, there must be some sort of law backing it up. Um, but I don't. I think it's completely wrong decision I think it's so so harsh because all season we've we've seen and we've grown used to um, decisions where when there's no distance between the two players that if it hits a hand it's it's fair game it's like it's just mm. play on mm. you see it when you know fullbacks are defending crosses and they, they have the hand, hands by the sides or slightly out even and if it hits it from two three yards away you don't get the penalty and that's that's as it should be because there's nothing yeah. you can do. I think it's a wider debate about human anatomy and balance. Like if you're stepping in, yeah. you kind of got your arm... Like if, for instance, if you're walking along a beam or a plank, you'd hold your arms out like that to steady yourself, wouldn't you, for a bit of balance. It's yeah. like that in any sport where you need to keep yourself balanced yeah. so your hands do come into it. And the unnatural position thing is ridiculous, I think, because... You know, unless someone's deliberately moved their arm towards the ball, which Grealish didn't, then you just, like you say, you're just setting yourselves up for decisions when it comes to handball almost every weekend. Yeah, I think, you know, Grealish is, he just, he tries to head the ball, simple as that. And, you know, because he's stretching every, you know, everything he's got to try and flick the ball away from Wan-Bissaka, um, you know, his, his arms go up. And that's the reason it's, the penalty has been given is because of the unnatural position thing. Mm, but... Mm. That is for me. It's it's just not right. I think um, he's not he's not looking. It's too close. You know, it's uh, it's the wrong decision for me. But I think there's a, a wider debate of this. Of yeah, yeah. Like how do you how do you punish unintentional handballs in the box? And I think a penalty is too harsh. But some sort of what about an indirect free kick? Like could could we not have that in 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 sort of time to come? Because I remember you ever seen field hockey. You know, when a ball unintentionally hits a foot, a, a foot of a player, yeah. it's a short corner, it's, which mm. is basically an indirect free kick. Like in, you have in to comparison pass it to someone times. first or whatever, yeah. I don't yeah. know the rules of hockey, but because we always say football isn't black and white, apart from whether the ball's over the line or not, 
So we've got goal line technology for that. If the whole of the ball is over the whole of the line, it's a goal. If it isn't, it's not a goal. Whereas fouls are so subjective. For instance, if I trip up Joel, one referee might think it's a foul, another referee somewhere else might think it isn't a foul. But one thing we can iron out and make black and white is handball. And it will be ridiculously harsh and it will a lot of people off for a long time. But if we do, just change the rules. So if it hits your hand, much like in hockey, if it hits your hand, you know the outcome, no matter where it is on the pitch, no matter what happens, this will happen. For instance, if every time the ball hits your hand, whether you mean it or not, it's a free kick, harsh or not, it's a free kick, then you eliminate that grey area. And immediately you've got a binary decision. It's hit his hand, therefore it's a foul. Therefore it's a penalty. And yes, you will have people starting to kick the ball against people's hands deliberately trying to get them to handle the ball and yes it might ruin the game to an extent but people will get used to it much like people will get used to other decisions like you can't pass the ball back to the goalkeeper we had a pass back rule for years that changed we had this a couple of years ago when when teams were trying to do that and this giant like instead of crossing it they were chipping it at players hands and we were getting loads of penalties and it was just it was too much i think there was you know team's top scorers on like 13 goals and nine were penalties and like seven of them were given for handball and stuff like that it was yeah you can't you can't it, tie people's hands ruins, behind the backs it's pointless I, 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 I agree with saying it in the office then I think and I hate the fact that these handball decisions have the impact to change a whole game and a title uh, for example but when, then, but I understand no, but, what you're saying but if it's just always a penalty or always a free kick then no one can complain because that is the rule The problem we've got with this Grealish decision is, and he spoke about it after the game in the post-match interview, he had a medal round his neck, his teammates were celebrating with the City fans, and all he could talk about to the TV reporter was the fact that he felt hard done by that he had been given a penalty against him. This is is, is probably one of the biggest areas in football, grey areas in football, sorry, because let's say he's on the goal line and someone heads it and he Mm. puts his head away and his hands up here. That's a penalty, and I would want a penalty for that because if his hand wasn't there, exactly. it'd be a yeah. card as well. Probably. It's like you can't compare Grealish's one at the weekend to Suarez in the World Cup. I, well, his he, you know he, he I mean? batted that away, didn't That's he? That's what I mean. It's, but it's you can't similar. have the same. I, I don't think you should have the same. Yeah, that's punishment a fair for both. I agree. You know what I mean? So, like, let's say it's like the, if it's point, like the end edge of the box, and Grealish has done that, I don't think that should have the influence to change a cup final. Change the rule, like Marley said, where it's... So what, you know, what do you want to do? Change the size of the box? No, but change the way that's in which the ridiculous. punishment... That's ridiculous. That's like saying no, a foul in the corner of the box near the goal kick line. It shouldn't be a change, penalty. Change, the box is the box. Change the way punishment's given then instead. We're allowed to change the rules a little bit because it's not fit for purpose. That should not have been a penalty. He didn't have no, where I the didn't ball think, was. I thought it was really harsh. No, this is what but I mean. it's the rules. Yeah, but then imagine giving a handball for absolutely everything. Games are finished about eight all. We don't want to see penalties all the time. You don't want to see time. eight all games? No, not from penalties, no. It's pointless. What does it give for anyone? Is is we need to have a rule in place, and they all go about intention. The only way you're going to know intention is if you set someone up to a lie detector test. Say, did you mean to put your hand out? Yeah, or if they if they do Maradona and, and or Suarez and well, that's a little or, bit, well, but, yeah, but that's you can see like point blank that they were trying to score and get an advantage with the hand. When it's for example the hands are down here and it slaps the hand back. How what, are we putting? handcuffs on us now uh, it makes no sense to me your hand is part of your body it's part of football you have to use it to push people away you have to use it in certain circumstances you can't expect a player to be is that not part of the skill here. though you have to learn a new skill no, but it's keep your arms behind it's your instinctive back. if anyone's played football you're not thinking about where your hands are you're thinking about the ball and your hands follow okay, your well body. let me tell you this then and we could go on about this for ages what about in terms of when there's a free kick and there's bodies in the wall 
when I was younger, and I remember watching people like Tony Adams do this, basically they used to stand in the wall and they'd put their hands down over their front to stop themselves getting hit there. Nowadays, players will not do that. They'll put their hands behind their back so they don't get punished if the ball hits them. The game has changed in the last 15, 20 years to deal with that situation. So uh -huh. why can't players learn a new skill? They've learned how... I mean, for instance, yeah, I had this a, That's a totally different circumstance, though. If you, Is you it? Know, it's to yeah, do with yeah, handball. No, it, well, they know that the ball's coming straight directly to them. If, they, if a player's running to try and slide tackle at the edge of the box and their hand slightly comes next to the leg, they are not thinking about where their hands are. Maybe they should, though. Come on, you, you've played football. I You're have not played thinking football. about your hands. But where it's the same. Tackling. It's the same with Grant, like Jack kids Greenish now. Jack is not thinking when he's jumping. Oh my god, let me put no, my hand not. down because I might give a penalty. But he's thinking, let me it, win the ball. But in ten years, when the kids of today are coming through and they're coached in a certain way, if the rules change, that will iron itself. Football's out. instinctive. You cannot address it honestly. Uh, I'm not sure. You I believe to... that entirely because, for instance, kids now they're all training on 3G, 4G surfaces. So, astroturf. It's a different sport than the one we used to play on grass. What does that make Kids a difference? Kids don't play hands? on grass. What does that make a difference? Jan? It's not. It's slide tackling, for example. Yeah, slide, slide tackling has gone tackling. out of the game in the kids' game because they're told not. Some kids are told not to head the ball now for health and safety reasons. So in ten years, you will see the impact of that in the professional game. Well, because yeah, if that's what the kids are being taught now. In 10, 15 years, you, you can see that residually come through. Yeah, but players do it. You can see it. When players are trying to block a cross, they'll put their hands behind the back sometimes. That's perfect because they know that a cross is coming in. When it's an instinctive action of play, like when they're jumping together, you always see penalties now given. It's when a player's running to try and block it or he's trying to move his body out of the way. He can't think about it. Maybe that's the area of the mm. game that needs addressing, I yeah, think. Yeah. No, I think it's, it's a massively, massively grey area. Don't get me wrong. I mean, the consistency in it is shocking. It's like one referee's getting told one thing. Yeah, yeah. The other's getting told the other thing. I mean, to be fair, a large part of this, I've been playing devil's advocate, but I do think it was an exceptionally harsh handball, but it might just be bad luck. Unlucky, Jack. That's the rules. And he feels hard done by, and I get it. But I mean, the fact that well, even double, after the game he was down, talking about if it. If they double down and say, this is the rules then, and yeah, that's yeah. it, then okay. It's fair, but you know, when you look at it from that perspective, it's mm. well, how can he do anything about it? Really, yeah. it's difficult. Mm. At that point, the game was one-one, and Ilkay Gundogan scored another impressive volley to make it two-one to Manchester City. And we'll talk about that goal and how maybe David de Gea could have done better next on Football Social Day. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. Ch -ch 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 -chum. 
That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily. Looking back at the first ever Manchester Derby FA Cup final, City winners by two goals to one after Bruno Fernandes had levelled for United via the penalty spot. Gundogan won City the cup thanks to a second volley in the game, this time with his other foot. De Gea, though, sees it late and he can't get across in time. It spins away from the goalkeeper and into the corner. In terms of the two goals, the first one for me, Marley, was the more impressive. But the second one, a lot of flack is coming David De Gea's way. Could he have saved it? Yes, uh, easy. I think it's a it's a decent volley, but it's, it's come from 22 yards. And I know that De Gea is slightly unsighted, but f- you know, you've got to move your feet quicker for me. I think he gets fingertips to mm. it, which which suggests that if he is slightly lighter on his feet and takes his, a yeah. couple of steps over, I think he saves that. In defence of the goalkeeper, and I agree, I think he should do better, but just to kind of add some balance to this, the way Gundogan shapes up to strike it, he hits it down into the ground, actually towards the other corner or towards more of the centre of the goal. Then once it hits the deck, it spins the other way. Mm. And maybe that does influence David De Gea's body position from what you can see through the other players in front of him. Obviously, there'll be quite a lot of legs and shirts in his way. But do you think that it opens up a wider debate? Because, as you mentioned, the first volley, concrete in his boots, to use your words, there was a header shortly after where he was also rooted yeah. to the spot that just I mean, rippled the side netting. And then that third yeah. goal. And so now a lot of Manchester United fans are saying, he's been really great for us. He's been a great servant, but we need a new goalkeeper. Yeah, they do, I think. The one thing people say about De Gea is like, yeah, he's not great with his feet, but he's a great shot stopper. And I think now we're seeing his shot stopping really get questioned as well. Like he should have should have saved that. There's the one against West Ham uh, about three or four weeks ago where it's it's just a p roller from is it Ben Rama who hits it mm. and it just trundles over his hand and it's like, I don't I don't know what he's got if he hasn't got shot stopping now. Um, he's been there a long time. He's won player of the year I think four times or whatever it is uh, he's won golden gloves and stuff like that but I think in the modern sort of game I don't think he's, he's a top keeper anymore he's lost his place in the Spain squad um, he's lost his he was number one uh, for a little while but he's, he doesn't even get in the squad these days and I think you look at goalkeepers now and they're, they're comfortable starting attacks I don't think he is they're good and they command the box I don't think he does that um, I think other than other than centre forward, I think centre, um, I think goalkeeper is the the position where Man United have got to address it. Well, let's ask Joel what he thinks. We reported last week on the show that David Raya, an asking price of forty million, has been placed on him by Brentford, his current club. In terms of what Manchester United need, definitely a striker. It looks like Veghorst is being linked with Everton in the newspapers today. He's not going to stay at Old Trafford. Manchester United, obviously have eyes on someone more impressive than Veghorst with all due respect. Would that be the second respect. time Sean Nice just signed Veghorst? It would, it would wouldn't be, it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Even though he was crap the first time, they're still getting linked with him now. Vegos He's got, got two chance. goals for Burnley. <laughs> well, to be fair, Everton <laughs> need a striker. <laughs> they need one that can score, yeah? It's <laughs> <laughs> not a striker. <laughs> I just mean, someone Neil Morpé is a striker who yeah. doesn't score. Just someone to stand so up Carl there and pretend to be a striker. But yeah, we know Manchester United need a striker. They probably need another central midfielder. Reports servicing that they need a centre-back or they're looking at a centre-back but goalkeeper how important is that position 
is it time from your perspective as a United supporter, Joel, for David De Gea to move on? Probably equally as important as signing a striker, I would say. Wow, really? You think that important? Because like you've said, you look at the Sevilla game, you look at this game, in essence, sometimes in parts of it, the list goes on and on and on this season. Brentford, West Ham. Villarreal, we didn't save oh. a single penalty from 11 And these are, these are games that have defined our season in some circumstances. The way in which, we, we all remember when Pep Guardiola first went to City and he has a very distinct way of playing. He wants, a, he wants he doesn't want a goalkeeper, he wants a footballer who plays as a goalkeeper. Yeah, he was ruthless, wasn't he? And he, he, got he, broke, heart, he, got he broke Yeah, yeah he yeah. broke the, uh, the goalkeeping British record to sign Edison from Benfica. But he'd already spent... 50 million on Bravo or something had he by that point this is, 35 this, million it, yeah this is what I'm saying goalkeepers are the start of your attacks and when if anyone's I'm sure everyone saw the game on Saturday every time De Gea got the ball City would press him he would not be able to find a man in, midf- in the midfield it would go straight back to City and they would transition on his time and time again if you would have looked at you know even Ortega for City he was actually decent on the ball with his feet and I was good thinking feet, yeah, yeah, if yeah. only we had a guy who was just half as good as that with his feet and I think for Ten Hag to play the way he wants, he needs a footballer in net. And I don't want to keep scapegoating De Gea for that goal because I do understand for the fact that there's a lot of bodies in the way. The ball kind of swerves away from him slightly, but he's so slow in his feet. And we need an athletic keeper who can quickly get from post to post and to be able to start attacks. And it's a shame because in a, in a team where he has to face really good shots and mm. consistent uh, barrages he's probably very good he has made some amazing yeah, saves this, this season. Is what I mean he's shot stopper but we're a team now who's not taking the brunts of every team you know I mean, like a Van Gaal team where we, we needed him I have an issue with that terminology anyway he's a good shot stopper but well yeah I'd, I'd like to think so to, you know to channel my inner Roy Keane that's his job <laughs> I mean, a goalkeeper's job is to stop the ball going in the net. No, but he's, and it, he's, so you wouldn't want to say, oh, he's a terrible shot stopper, but he can come and catch the ball. Well, that's not good enough. You need to be a good shot, shot stopper as the bare minimum as a Premier League goalkeeper. And I'd be concerned if any goalkeeper wasn't a good shot stopper that's turning out for a Premier League side. But what you need now is not the bare minimum. You need to be able to catch. You need to be able to distribute. And I think that's where the game has changed. He's an above average one. That's why he's been highlighted to be a shot stopper. I know not to get pedantic about it, but he, the reason why he's won the uh, the player of the season was with United because he's above, above average, well above average, yeah. one of the world's best shot stoppers. He can be a good striker who scores goals or he can be a world-class striker who yeah, scores course, goals, you know yeah. what I mean? Mm. Um, so I think right now he's on what? 250000 a week. His contract expires in two months. He's on 400, I think. Christ, I, w- I would believe it because United hand it out like a ticket, golden ticket. He's got two months left on his contract. He's one of the biggest earners at the club and he no longer deserves that kind of fee. Be ruthless and start being a big club. We've just seen Real Madrid mm. release Eden Hazard, Mariano, Benzema. Yeah, yeah. That's big club work going on there. But to be fair to Ten Hag, he got rid of Ronaldo or, or helped engineer Ronaldo yeah, out of the yeah. club. He also shifted on some of the dead wood that Manchester United weren't happy with in the summer. So he has been ruthless to an extent, you know, even in his decision making when he dropped Marcus Rashford for turning up late to a team meeting and he put him on the bench, even though Rashford was in the form of his life at that point. So Ten Hag has made those decisions. But concerningly for some fans, he has come out and said he does like David De Gea and he's considering offering him a new contract. Now, whether that's just quotes that have been taken out of context I don't know but we will wait and see certainly there are question marks over that goalkeeping position at Old Trafford talking of players that might be leaving 
the club. Let's go to Manchester City and back to Gundogan. I mean, he's been a man possessed in the last few months of the season. He looks like he is going to leave this summer. Barcelona is the touted destination, Marley. He's given so much to Manchester City over the years that he's been there. But do you think his lasting legacy at the Etihad will be those two goals at Wembley on Saturday and just generally the second half of this season where City might still win a treble where he scored some huge goals? Uh, I think his, his main legacy will be the Villa game last season where City were trying the hardest to throw the throw the league away on the last day when, t- when they were 2-0 down to Aston Villa uh, and he popped up with two goals uh, to, to turn it round. I think that's a bigger... A bigger impact than the than the FA Cup final. Obviously, that's still big, but I feel like the the league one's a bit bigger. But in terms of his his overall impact, I still think he's 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 horrendously underrated in in terms of um as good he's as good as any centre midfielder I've seen in probably ten years. Like the reason he's he's underrated is because De Bruyne is next to him, and yeah. De Bruyne just does mad things. Like you know, he's he's I think I feel like he's he almost almost benefits from De Bruyne as well though because everybody's worried about De Bruyne they ignore Gundogan because he's not he's seen as not quite as good. But it's then like Gundogan the Ronaldo just, and Rooney situation where no one focuses on Rooney because you got the star next to him. Yeah, it? it's like he, he'll then drift off into a position where he can absolutely kill you and he'll finish, you know, finish anything he gets and he's got magnificent touch and technique around the box and things like that and you've seen that his goal against Everton was ridiculous. Mm. Um, his volley which one he scored I mean the volley yeah, he scored two against Everton he scored two against Leeds took it on his thigh yeah, and yeah, then flicked yeah. it in Just he's just clever he's, yeah. his brain's on another level and I feel like in in the grand scheme of things you think about the best centre midfielders in the Premier League of, like, through history you think of Gerard Lampard De Bruyne Yaya Toure and mm. what, what have you and Vieira and all them but Gundogan's not far off that level he's, he's very very good it's interesting because in terms of where he ranks in the list of the best Manchester City midfielders. I'm not sure many will put him towards the top of the list, but maybe in a couple of years when they look back that they should. Because they've been spoiled with, you know, De Bruyne, David Silva, Yaya Toure. It's like, oh, Jesus Christ, they're three of the best in history to do it. Yeah, in the Premier League for sure. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Best Um, German player ever. I'm struggling to think of a German Premier League player that was better than him. Balak was decent. Balak wasn't good. wasn't that good for Chelsea. I won the think. double with Chelsea. Yeah, he's good. good part but then Gundogan's just won the double. Then, yeah. Might do the treble. Has won the double before Manchester City. So mm. you know you're talking about accolades and honours. Then absolutely, Ilkay Gundogan um, should be on that list. Right then. So Manchester City won the FA Cup, but what next? What does this result mean for their season? How will they feel going into the Champions League final next week against Inter? We'll talk about it next. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. 
Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Final part of today's Football Social Daily, Manchester City have won the double by beating United in the FA Cup final and now just one more trophy to go. That is to beat Inter in the UEFA Champions League final. They created more chances at Wembley, Joel. Do you think that they deserve to win? I know it would be painful to say as a Manchester United fan, but do you think Manchester City, on the balance, deserve to win on Saturday? I didn't think they were incredible, but I mean, they did way more than us to win the game. I think they controlled it way more, took their chances... I think we did well for the fact that we conceded two brilliant goals rather than ones that were, you know, typical ones that we conceded against them. And I'm really kind of proud of the team that we didn't capitulate after they went ahead so early on in the game. I thought it could have been two, three, four with the way in which this United team have been this season. Um, but yeah, it, it is like I said at the start, you could tell that City were not as up to it in terms of their match rhythm. I think it, if it would have came three days after the season ended, we might have seen a very different game. Uh, but going into it against Inter Milan, they're going to be up against a team who are going to absolutely sit watertight, Italian-esque, everything you expect from an Italian team and just try and counter-attack. Uh, and they're in really good form at the moment, Inter Milan. They've just finished third in Serie A, so they're in decent shape but I just look at Inter Milan's team and I just really don't see where the threat's coming from to be honest um, I just really think it's going to be so one-sided unless Pep somehow capitulates like they did against Chelsea in the 2021 final 2021 yeah. 2021 final where he just I don't know what happened that game it was freakishly strange from City but all I can do is hope and pray that my boys, Lukaku, Matteo Damian, Henrik <laughs> Mikatarian, all our cast-offs do us proud and do something because <laughs> they're the last hope. As Joel mentioned earlier on today, he's been peppered from all angles by the City fans in the office and a few of them that don't normally turn up to the office on a Monday have decided to show <laughs> right, their face right, today as well, that. haven't yeah, they? Yeah. I wonder whether that would have been the case had Manchester City not beaten United at the weekend, but... One of the City fans out there, Marley, has just suggested that 4-1 is the score that she thinks it will finish in the Champions League final next week. Can't see Inter getting one, to be fair. No, I can't either. <laughs> Joel thinks that Inter are going to sit behind the ball. They can't they, will, yeah. they can't take on Manchester City head on. No, no, not at all. Um, they'll get they'll get carved open like a, a cheap tin of beans, I think, if they, if they try that. But yeah, sitting, it'll be almost typical Italian sort of tactics of uh, we'll sit in remember like Inter against uh, Barcelona oh, Mourinho's like, Inter yeah yeah we'll, we'll just sit here and you, you can you can try to break us down we'll sit here and it'll that'll, I think that, that'll be the pattern of the game really but just give it to Diego Milito give him a chance yeah Who, who's the modern day of that is it Martinez but Jacko Jacko he's got a similar kind With of play style 37 year old legs <laughs> Christ yeah it's um be tough for them. I mean, you look um, at Inter Milan's midfield, Brozovic, Barela and Chalaglu, I think 
it can go toe-to-toe with the most be- dominant teams, but when you're playing against a team that's got It's the energy metronomes. side of it. It's the energy side right, of it for me right. that I'm worried about. Because, I mean, are all of those players you referenced 30-plus? Ah, Barela's the youngest Barela. one out of them. Brozovic, I mean, Croatian players can go on until eternity, <laughs> can't they? But it's, it's a good midfield. Romelu Lukaku and Latoro Martinez have always been the two kind of dynamic players they've st- slowly started to bed in together again since they came back to Inter. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a case of just literally sitting in and just hoping that they can get a chance because if they start trying to play against City, they will, will they will get carved like a spit roast. City fans would have seen the videos of the players and the staff bumping into Elton John at Manchester. I thought he was an imposter when I saw it. It didn't look like him, did it? It looked like a man in just fancy dress. Like, really good cosplay, that mate. But come on, where's the real Elton? And I was like, oh, it is. Yeah, oh, obviously, they were taking selfies and I think there was a little tear in Pep's eye as well. Um, what a place to bump into Elton John, obviously, who had a concert in Manchester that night just as the, the City players arrived back at Manchester Airport to celebrate their victory. It was billed as the biggest Manchester derby of all time. Do you think it lived up to its name? Because there is a certain vibe and buzz you get around Manchester when the derby day rolls around. That one felt different, Marley. Do you think it will be considered as the biggest derby ever? Or do we need to wait until next Saturday and see what City do against Inter to decipher that one? Uh, Was it the the biggest ever? I think it's got to be, isn't it? Before it, it, yeah. FA Cup? Yeah, I mean, final it, never it, happened before. Yeah, I think travel it, on the line. I think it was. It's just looking at it after the game. It's like because it wasn't that good a game. It it could maybe be topped in the future. Yeah, but, I mean, if Gundogan's Gundogan's volley was in the ninety fourth instead of the first, mm, yeah, changes it again, doesn't it? It, it? The thing is, as well, it was never really a fifty fifty game. You always expected City to win. So it's I think true, yeah. if the if if that happens again, like let's say the FA Cup final is Man United against Man City again in five years' time and City haven't got Guardiola. Mm. And it's, and it's you know, very much two of the three best teams in the league or whatever. Then maybe that'll eclipse it. But up until now, yeah, fine. You know, that's been... That was probably the biggest because of, you know, the fact that it had never happened before. And when we spoke to Nedham in the week, he was like, people think that City have been around for... For years at the top and it hasn't that's why mm. the this thing hasn't happened before and that's why it's a big game at the weekend and well it's been 10 but, years not even that well just over that since they won their first league uh, yeah. first premier league yeah. i should say yeah so really it's been decade a decade yeah and manchester united were dominant for double that time if not more so yeah well there'll always be a little city in our eyes I mean, the fact that Gaz, who's our City fan in the office, said that he was more nervous for the FA Cup final than he is for a Champions League final. I met a lot of City fans who said they would rather have won the FA Cup and lose the Champions League. Yeah, that's spoken by a fan who's never won a Champions League before. If your club's never won a Champions League, you will never understand the the aftermath of what it feels like to win European glory. I understand what you're saying there, but also the stick that you've been receiving today. Man City fans will hold that over Manchester United fans forever. Especially if they win the treble, they can go, yeah, you won a treble, United, but we beat you on the way in the cup final. And there you go. That's that's why the City fans, they, because the City fans, they don't like Manchester United, understandably. That's their biggest rivalry. United's biggest rivalry is with the Liverpool. And yeah, City is second yeah, in the pecking yeah. order in terms of who Manchester United fans dislike. And so therefore, I think there's a little bit of disparity there. But let's come on to United. They'll be back at Wembley, won't they? From what we've seen, Eric Ten Hag 
been able to achieve this season, you'd imagine they'll be back competing in most competitions next term. Yeah, I mean, just on a fan perspective, just to be able to have the opportunity to go to Wembley in a season is magic in itself. Even if you win it or you don't win it, it's those big moments that actually build a team and build the fans to connect with your club a little bit more. And I think on this situation, when you compare it to last season where we were, this thing that yeah. we've had this season was a million miles away. It yeah. felt like it. Three trips to oh. Wembley is... Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. great. Some mm. some clubs never get that. And the fact that as Manchester United, you kind of feel entitled to it, but you also belong there because the size of the club, you demand it. You can't be away from these kind of occasions too long. It, it, this is a club that demands these kind of uh, situations. So... In terms of last season, yeah, it's a, it's a massive achievement in terms of where we were compared to where we are now. And I think next season, should our signings go correct, we'll definitely be back there again next season, whatever cup it may be. Um, I just think that when you look at where we're going and if the owner situation sorts out very quickly, mm. we're going to be a problem next season for a lot of teams. OK, well, the FA Cup final, the first ever all-Manchester FA Cup final, finished Manchester City 2, Manchester United 1. It means that City lift the trophy. They've done the double. Will they do the treble? We'll find out next weekend. You can join us on Friday as we preview that Champions League final between Manchester City and Inter Milan. We'll be scaling back the podcast to just three shows a week whilst it is the off-season. So we'll be back on Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays as a kind of rough schedule. So make sure you hit subscribe. At least that way you won't miss any of the future episodes, including any of our chats with former Premier League players, like the one we did with Nadem Anua. We sat down with him, the former Manchester City defender, last week. Part one of that interview is now live. You can scroll back in the timeline to find it. And part two will be out on Wednesday, where you can hear exactly what his relationship was like with Roberto Mancini. He said some really candid things, did Nadem, and he also spoke about his relationship with Zlatan Ibrahimovic, or la- lack thereof, after a bit of an incident between the two of them, which you heard a glimpse of earlier on. So go and hit subscribe, and that way you won't miss it. But from us, that is it. We'll catch you on Wednesday, and enjoy the rest of your week. See you then. Football Social Daily is a voice-work sport production for the Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.